Tonight's Bible reading comes from Matthew chapter 16, verses 19 to 24. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The things you don't allow on earth will be the things that God does not allow. The things that you allow on earth will be the thing that God allows. Then Jesus warned his followers not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Don't store, treasure, don't store treasures for yourselves here on the earth. Moths and rust will destroy treasures here on the earth. And thieves can break into your house and steal the things you have. So store your treasure in heaven. The treasures in heaven cannot be destroyed by moths or rust. And thieves cannot break in and steal that treasure. Your heart will be where your treasure is. The eye is a light for the body. If your eyes are good, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are evil, evil, then your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the only light you have is really darkness, then you have the worst darkness. No one can be a slave to two masters. He will hate one master and love the other, or he will follow one master and refuse to follow the other. So you cannot serve God and money at the same time. Thanks so much, Alexandra. I have done very similar things and been tearing my hair out as to why the passage I was supposed to be preaching on made absolutely no sense. And it's because I was in another passage of Scripture. So thank you for your recovery and being able to do that, Alexandra. really appreciate you bringing God's Word. I, I want to cover something else. I, I have a number of people who speak to me before the service and say, Oh, Charlie, don't you ever get nervous? I'm nervous every time I get up here. Every time. And I'm not sure if it's the weight of bringing God's word to you, because with that weight also comes a confidence that he has given the word to speak to you. But I'm nervous every time, just so you know. So if you wanted to pray for that, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, who knows what would happen one day. Maybe I'll get up here and won't be able to speak. But uh, I always have a dry mouth. That's why I always bring water up, because who knows? Who knows? But this evening, we're going to continue our series uh, in Matthew. And uh, we began with the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount continues to expand on the themes relating to the condition of our hearts, our innermost beings. And tonight, we're going to be continuing that theme. But the real question we need to ask is, where is our treasure? Now, don't you believe you'll find anyone who will say, that God expects us to live and survive on nothing while living an earthly life. So we need things in order to live. And in fact, we need things in order to serve God as well. And God is more than willing to provide these things for us. But the tension comes when acquiring these things becomes our goal or our focus. And so this isn't just focused on money. There are many things that can become a distraction for us in accumulation of wealth. And Paul told Timothy that the love of money is the root of all evil in 1 Timothy 6 to 10. And Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes that he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth his income. 
this is also vanity. I think few here or gathered at home will admit or confess that they are living for anyone or anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's clear we are living for things or wealth when it captures our heart, when it becomes the focus of our minds, when it controls our direction, our will and our purposes. In tonight's passage, Jesus speaks on the condition of men's hearts in the midst of all of this and he provides us with some very wise counsel on where our treasure should be and how that should focus our lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to come to hear from your word. And my desire, as always is, Lord, that the truth of your word will be revealed to us, revealed to me, revealed to each one of us. And the Lord, we will hear that and we will take steps in our own lives in order to change and draw closer to you. So, Father, draw our attention to you alone, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I think as we begin this this evening, it's important to realise that each and every one of us do actually lay up treasure somewhere. It's just the nature of mankind. So even the poor lay up treasure And we have to make sure that as we approach Scripture, we don't come with preconceived ideas that will cloud our thinking. Treasure doesn't have to be held in our hands. Our treasure is anything that we value above other things. It is that which draws our attention. And although reluctant to admit it, they draw our emotions as well. It is what we strive to attain, what we fear or dread losing. And eternally speaking... There's only two classifications of treasure, and the first one is earthly treasure. Back in Matthew 5.48, Jesus calls us to be perfect just as our Heavenly Father is perfect. This is a call to a life which is marked by our undivided loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ, to His kingdom, to His righteousness. And as we follow Christ, we'll encounter a number of things which have the potential to distract us or derail our commitment to him. And earthly treasure is one of those things. We've heard read, do not lay up yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And Jesus says, don't do this. The word translated treasure here is one that indicates anything that we store up as precious to ourselves, or the place in which those precious things are actually stored. The kind of earthly riches and property spoken of here are the ones that we may lay up or entrust to someone else to keep for a time to come when we will actually need it into the future. And thrown into this mix is also the belief at the time that Jesus said this, that material wealth in Israel was seen as a blessing from God. And when we think about that, we don't actually think about that when we think of wealthy people, but it was very much the case at those times. That's why when the disciples were spoken to by Jesus um, in Matthew 19, 24, when Jesus said how hard it was for a rich man to get into heaven, the disciples were shocked because they saw that as a blessing from God. And so the issue here is those who laid up treasure for the future for themselves had a false sense of security in those things, in that treasure. 
And Jesus speaks against this attitude first and foremost because it is so short-sighted. We have all the wealth on earth and ultimately it's pointless. It's worth nothing as our lives here are so fleeting when compared to eternity. All the material possessions we have here will have no place at all in eternity. More than that, Jesus calls us to not focus on the things of this earth because moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. In Jesus' day, I suppose just like today, there were people who enjoyed fine clothing. They loved being dressed up and being seen as being dressed very well. Uh, a lot of the more expensive garments uh, had gold woven through them and those who were very wealthy were able to have coloured garments, garments of red and purple. And so they would wear these things. Obviously, fashion changed much slower back then than what it does now. And so a lot of these items were actually stored and put away, and so they could bring them out again when they wanted to. But it only took one small bug to chew a hole, to render a garment not worth wearing anymore. And certainly the rich would not wear a garment that had a hole in it, regardless of how small it was. Our understanding of rust is limited by how we use the word today. But the way the word was used back then literally means to eat. And so when we thought about rusty cars, actually you don't see rusty cars around anymore. When I was growing up, it was nothing to have about this much of a tailgate rusted out on a car or the rear wheel wells gone in cars altogether and gaffer tape became a very good thing for repairing cars. But uh, we don't see that today. So, but when we think about rust, they're the types of things that we think about uh, or a rusty steel boat that is eaten away by rust. But when Jesus mentions rust, most, of, most people of Israel wouldn't have thought about steel rusting at all. They would have thought about that eating side of things of rust. Uh, they would have been thinking about those who had an abundance of grain and that's how they amassed their wealth. And when we spoke about rust, they'd be thinking about those rodents that came in and ate away their wealth. It can also mean to decay or corrode, which is where we get it from. People also traded in fine metals, gold, silver and copper back then. And Jesus said, if this is your treasure, if this is what you put your hope in, thieves will come in and steal it. And his whole point was that regardless of how much you have, whatever it is that you treasure in the here and now, if it is worldly, if it is earthly treasure, then there's a good chance that you won't be able to hold under it. The moth will come, the rust will come, the thieves will come and it'll all be taken. If you do manage to hold it on onto it though for your time on earth, eternally, it's worthless anyway. There's no point. Do you remember the rich fool in Luke 12? He, he had these barns and he had a bumper crop of grain and his grain wouldn't fit into those barns and he was asking, what should I do? And he decided to tear his barns down and build greater barns so he could store all of his grain and then he would have an abundance for his life. He would be able to live comfortably. He wouldn't have to work anymore. But that very night, his life was taken from him and the warning is that it will be the same for anyone who lays up treasure for themselves without being rich towards God. That's how chapter 12 of Luke finishes.
And then Jesus presents the contrast, the heavenly treasure. What we need to realize here too is that Jesus is not forbidding or condemning saving for the future or planning for retirement. Proverbs 6, 6 calls us to observe the ants who gather through summer so they will have provisions for winter. 1 Timothy 5, 8 says that a man who does not provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. So the gathering and storing is not the issue here. We are clearly called to plan for the future. But Jesus will always stand against those who accumulate wealth selfishly, stockpiling goods and funds in order to live a life of excess. Jesus says we shouldn't waste what we're giving on accumulating wealth on earth. And the core is to shift our focus. And he calls us to lay up treasure in heaven a treasure that is kept which can never be destroyed or taken from us and Jesus doesn't say what this treasure is but I believe there's only one thing foundational to all the treasure that we can possibly acquire in eternity Psalm 73 25 says whom have I in heaven but you and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you This is King David speaking and uh, he looks to God the Father and he sees that everything else he has fades into oblivion when compared to the joy of knowing God. Can you say that? Can, Can you say that the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest thing you've ever attained? There's nothing to compare to him. I have personally found there's nothing greater than knowing Jesus. And I have experienced what I consider great wealth. I've also experienced great poverty. In the middle of both, God was constant and true. He never changed. He was always present, always constant. I could lose everything, and I have. And he was there. And as long as he is there, I have a hope and I have a future. And there's nothing and no one else that I can say that about. That is only true in the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 13 gives us the parables of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great value. Both talk of the joy and willingness to sacrifice everything else in order to obtain the treasure and the pearl. And they're talking about the gospel, that account that is all about God's saving grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour, we can build on that one true foundation and be further rewarded. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, tested what sort of work each has done. And if the work they've done was built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. This is the call of all believers to build on that one true foundation, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we do should be done with this constantly in mind. When we do, we increase our reward in heaven. And I don't fully understand that. But that's what Scripture says. I always feel that I have to justify what I've just said when I come to things like this. I'm not saying to you, if you work, you will get a reward in heaven. It doesn't work that way. We are saved by grace and grace alone. 
is an undeserved gift from our Lord. But when we recognise that, it is our reasonable response to submit all of our lives to Him. And when we submit all of our lives to Him, we want to live a life of obedience to Him. And as we live in obedience to Him, we do good works in His name. And it's those good works that we are rewarded for. You know what's really amazing? If God was to reveal to us all the wonders of heaven, everything that awaits us there, we wouldn't have words. We wouldn't be able to comprehend everything he has in store for us. Just think about those who had visions of glory and heaven and they struggled to describe the things that they were seeing. It's going to be like that and 10,000 times more. There's no way I can possibly comprehend how incredible heaven is going to be. But are the promises of Scripture enough for you? Where do your eyes fall? It's an unusual thing to ask, I suppose. But, but what I'm asking is, what is it you focus on? If we were able to lay out all of your thoughts for this last day before us here, who, what, or where would most of your thoughts be? How, how would they be directed? And Jesus tells us that where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And so Jesus calls us out here. He says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And when he speaks about our hearts, he's talking about the very center of our being. He's talking about the seat of our emotions, our will, our wishes. It's the part of us which controls us in its longings and desires. It's like a needle for a compass which will point to what we truly treasure. Jesus is saying that what we treasure is an indication of who we really are. And we can sit in church on a Sunday, we can fool our family and our friends, but Jesus is saying, what you treasure, what you prize, what you prize the most, that reveals your true values. And this is not a fleeting thing. It is in reality what your life centers on. It becomes the focus of your life, which fits with what comes next in this passage of Scripture. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And as we look at this passage, we can take it on a superficial level and say, well, the good eye and the bad eye speak of healthy and diseased eyes, and that could be true. But Jesus is, continuing, uh, sorry, is indicating that the eye illuminates the inner life of the person. And so as Jesus spoke these words, those who were listening would have understood that he was saying what he was saying in one of two ways. The first would have been the good eye was a person who was ready to give away their wealth in order to help the needy. That was someone who had a good eye. And they would have understood that Jesus um, said to mean a person with a good eye had a sense of purpose and gave undivided loyalty. That's the second meaning. And in this case, 
It is most likely that Jesus was indicating the second meaning rather than the first, although both do fit. And when one focuses on Christ, their eye becomes a conduit to fill their heart of that which they focus upon. To be clear, if our eye is good, then it is the conduit that allows our hearts to be filled with the light of God's treasure, the Lord Jesus Christ. There are only two eyes spoken about, one which is good and focused totally on Jesus, and one which is bad. It doesn't focus on Jesus. There's no middle ground here. You've possibly heard it said many times. There's no sitting on the fence. Your eye is either good and focused fully on Jesus or it is bad, allowing your body to become filled with darkness. The evil eye in Scripture is that which is envious or covetous. If we live with our eyes fixed on the earthly treasures as our values and security, then our heart will be filled with darkness. A true follower of Jesus can't live like that. And so the question has to be asked, which will you serve? Two treasures and two eyes, both pointing to a climax or pushing for a decision to one question. Which will you serve? This section of scripture finishes with Jesus saying, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And I'm not sure what you think when you read this, but maybe you say something like, Well, you know what? I'm going to give it a decent shot. I think I can do it. I think when we try and find ways around Scripture, we forget exactly who it is that is talking. This is Jesus speaking, the one who knows you intimately, the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows humanity like no other possibly could. He has lived amongst us. He knows what we are capable of and he knows our failings. And right here he's saying, you can't do it. There's no way. You can't serve two masters. And I think an incredible example is Judas and and, uh, Pastor Darrell spoke on Judas this morning. And you think of Judas's life and Judas, the one who betrayed Christ. and, And Judas spent three years with Jesus Judas saw the miracles. Judas was right alongside him. Judas was part of of his disciples and he saw everything that Jesus did. And he saw that Jesus just didn't do this in public. He saw the way that Jesus lived behind the scenes and he saw that continuation and he just saw the type of man that Jesus was. And yet, Judas was a thief. He had his hand in the money bag and Jesus knew it. Judas was sent out with the other disciples. Judas got to cast out demons and heal in Jesus' name. Judas was part of the inner circle. And constantly we see Jesus extending grace to Judas, even though he knew the heart of Judas. He kept constantly trying to draw Judas to himself. But Judas 
had a love for money. And in the end, that love won out. Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. A pittance, really. You can't serve two masters. And I think Judas is an example of that. A very, very powerful example. What we need to realise when, when it's talking about not serving two masters, this is not talking about a misplaced trust in things of the earth, a mistake. This is speaking about the orientation of our hearts. Which is rich to us? Which is it that we pursue the most? Do we pursue Jesus more than anything on this earth or is it something else? If we say we're followers of Jesus, then we must follow him wholeheartedly. It's all or nothing. Think about what Jesus has said about light and dark darkness they cannot coexist there will be one or there will be the other and that's emphasized in the statements here it's a little lost in the translation but basically what it says it's impossible to serve two masters it cannot be done the serving a master brings to mind the images of a slave a slave is wholly owned by one And it's a relationship that demands complete devotion. And so I'm either wholly devoted to God or I'm wholly devoted to the world. There's no in-between. And if I'm wholly devoted to the world, it's those treasures that I pursue. You can't wholly devote yourself to both. Where is your trust? Where is your security? Is it fully on Christ or are you more inclined to trust your own abilities, trust your reputation, trust your career, trust your investments? Do we have good eyes? What does it mean to have good eyes? If, if our eyes are the conduit to our heart and we're constantly trying to grow Christ in our lives, to submit more and more to him, are we spending more time reading things that are beneficial to our life with the Lord Jesus Christ or less? Are we found reading God's word each and every day? Because if we say we're following Jesus, we should. Do we have a desire to grow in faith and are our conversations with other believers indicating that where we want to be that iron that sharpens iron where we want to encourage each other and build each other up in the faith do we have good eyes or do we have bad eyes are we those people who desire security above everything else where we want to know that we're going to be taken care of. And we believe that if we gather wealth, we'll be secure in that. Are we looking for personal wealth, self-esteem and value? And we believe that our material possessions, the wealth that we show, our success, the nice car, feeling good about ourselves, how we dress, the nice area we live in, the fine dining we enjoy... Is that important to us? When we think about the wealth and possessions we have, it gives us some power. 
do you, do you want to be able to get each and everything that you want without reservation? Believing that your wealth allows you to control your future, your fate, and sometimes even control the lives of others? Do you want independence? And so many who go down that path actually desire independence from God too. They see their wealth as being all they need. They don't need God. They've got everything they want. I'm a self-made man. I've no need of him or anything else for that matter. And what about pleasure? Where I'm able to focus on and have whatever I want. I can fulfill any fantasy I want. I can have any holiday I want. I can have the most extravagant wedding for me, for my kids, whatever. And the question remains, if you were to lose everything you possessed tonight, what would your response be? You may have heard of Matthew Henry. Uh, he's a Bible commentator and preacher um, from the last century, or maybe the century before now. He was robbed once. They took absolutely everything he had. He was left with nothing, only the clothes on his back. This is what he wrote in his prayer diary. Lord, I thank you that I've never been robbed before, that although they took my money, they spared my life. And although they took everything, it wasn't very much. And I thank you, Lord, that it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. This is the hard attitude of someone who keeps his treasure in heaven. It's a man who is living it out. Colossians 3, 1 to 4 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of this earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also you will appear in him, with him in glory. Are we focused on the things of God or the things of the earth? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. It's a difficult word, Lord, and I know when I was younger, I tried to rationalize things like this. I tried to worm my way out of full commitment to you. But Lord, it's very clear in your word that you call us to a life fully committed to you. There is no sitting in the fence. There is no gray area. We're either for you or against you, Lord. Forgive me for those times in my life when I've done my own thing, Lord. When I've pursued wealth, recognition, acknowledgement from others and Lord I pray for each one of us that tonight we'll be honest with you and with ourselves and that we want to set this right 
and that as though, Lord, we're, we're going to mess things up. I pray for each one of us that we'll desire for our eyes to be good, that we'll make our eyes that conduit which feeds our very soul and allows Christ to become more and more in our life, Lord, because we submit more and more to him each and every day. And the Lord, we feed that through reading your word, through praying, with, through sharing with each other the incredible things that you're doing, through growing in faith. Father, my life's about you. I pray that's true for each one of us and that we'll find great joy in being your child, in serving you, in living for you. In Jesus' name, amen.